Hey, this is the podcast of Sue Wesleyan Church's sermon from our Sunday worship services. I'm Pastor Brooks, the one who usually teaches here. Whether you're a regular attender or just listening in for a sample of what our church is like, I really hope this benefits your growing relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the measurements of the church uh, that we use sometimes is how many people can we get inside of the doors of the church? And, and we do it like, like probably everybody else. We count how many people are here. We count how many cars are in the parking lot and how much bigger we need the parking lot to be. And that's, that's all fine and well, but a goal that we need to shift into is a goal of measuring how many people can we get to go out of the doors of this church? And I know nobody sleeps here at the church, everybody leaves who comes in here. But what if we changed our terminology so that it wasn't, this place is called the church. Now I know we'll probably never overcome that. I mean, this is the building we meet in, traditionally been called the church. But what if the church was more than just a place or just an experience, but that we would carry the gospel everywhere? everywhere that we went. And so doors are the problem. It's, it's you know, yeah, we want to be a church that people are welcome to come in and some of you are joining us for, for your first time and we're so glad that you're here. But we want to get out of the four walls of this church. You know, there's a problem with doorways. Doorways are, are one of those things that often cleanses our mind. I want to see you guys a little bit better, um, so I'll turn on some lights. Um, they're one of those things that they cleanse our minds. I don't know if this happens to you. You never maybe thought that doorways cleanse your minds. But when I walk into a room of my house, I often go, why did I come in here? Have you, have you done that? It's not like I live in a 17-room mansion that like it's so hard to remember. It's just you walk in a room and you look in your hand and you're going, why would I carry batteries into the bathroom, right? You know, like, what, did, what, did, what am I going to use these for in here? And so where did I come from? And you go back and try and figure it out. And sometimes you never figure out why did I come in this room? Maybe some of you, you have an open floor plan in your house and you never go through a doorway, but you still do that. It's interesting, some research has been done on this in the Journal of uh, Experimental Psychology. A professor from Notre Dame did an experiment with some people, kind of a harmless one. He had people do some, some memory things where they had to do these tasks and remember some things. But what he added to this, these memory tasks was some distance. They had to go from one place to another and then he would gauge you know, how well did they do in remembering what they needed to do. And so he had people do a certain distance. But then he added a doorway. Didn't change the distance that people had to travel. Just added an entryway or an exitway, a doorway. And people's memories started to drop. And it wasn't because of the distance. It was because something in our minds say there's an event boundary here. Something's happened. I'm in a different space now. And so activity is different. And so our mind just kind of files it away. And then we go, what am I doing in this room? So for those of you who, who experience this, science says so do other people, right? But what's sad is when we compartmentalize our lives when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked for the last three weeks, our sermon series was named Made for Mondays. Because we really do believe that God didn't just make us for Sunday mornings, he made us for 24-7. The workplace that you're in, the vocation, the place where God has called you in this season of life. God expects 
you to live with him there. He expects you to be guided by him there. And so it's sad what happens when we go through the doors of this church. Sometimes Jesus becomes our weekend friend. And when we leave, we forget what we did when we were here. Or when we come in, we forget why we came. The picture we're going to share over the next six weeks in this series called All the Places to Go, How Will You Know, is the door. The door. The door. What Doors are used in literature. I mean, doors are a pretty interesting thing because like, well, what's behind the door? I want to talk with you this morning about open doors. Opportunities that God gives us. New adventures to do good things. To make our lives count for eternity. I want to read to you from... Uh, an obscure piece of literature. It's opener there in the wide open air. Out there things can happen and frequently do. To people as brainy and as footsy as you. And when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll see the, be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. Are you well-read? Do you know who that is, Dr. Seuss? Oh, the places you go. Well, our series is named, Oh, the places you'll go. How, how will you know? All the places you could go. How do you know which way? How do you know which road sign to take? How do you know which door to open? I want to share with you a little bit about our God. First is he's the God of the open door. He's God who opens the door. Scripture says in James that every good and perfect gift comes from him. He's the one who opens doors. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus says, I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Because Jesus walked out of the tomb, he says, I have got the keys to that door. You don't have to be afraid anymore. And so he says later in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. God opens up doors to us. As, as a gift of grace. And so many times people like to claim that they open doors for themselves. Those 12 steppers know that we're powerless though, right? Without him, we're, we're powerless on our own to do any good. He is the one who opens up the way. But we fight him sometimes. We fight to get doors open that God has shut for a reason. And we, 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 we fight for a job that we think we should have. We fight for a, a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend that we think we should have. A raise, an award, and Rather than allowing God to work things out in his time, we tug, we push, and we get exhausted, and we get spent. And maybe if the door opens, it's got horrors behind it that we never wanted. Or it just remained closed. And we just wasted years trying to fight to get our way. God is one who opens doors. It starts even with Abraham in Genesis where he says, Congrats, you're on your way. And he gave him a copy of Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. You know, that's what we give people when they graduate from high school. I don't know why, but we do. And so he says, Abraham, leave and go, and I'll show. I'll show you the way. But he shows him, God not only opens doors for Abraham, he opens doors always so that we can bless others. 
He says, you're going to go and you're going to bless people. You're going to bless all the nations. That's the second thing I want you to hear is that an open door is never just about me and my life. God blesses me so that I can bless other people. He gives me opportunities so I can help others. In Genesis 18 and 22 and 26 and 28, this is repeated to Abraham. You will bless others. Our call is to bless, to give life, to enhance those around us. Third thing maybe some of you need to hear is, is, is to reject the myth that if I didn't walk through a door I was supposed to, I'm now permanently on plan B of God's plan for my life. That, that I've just, I've messed up and God's not going to use me anymore. If he does, it's going to be this second string stuff, this stuff that, that I, I wish I would have made that decision. Long. You can't go back and change that. You can't live in the if-onlys. And if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. God has a purpose for you. And what's interesting about these these doors, walking through an open door, is that those psychologists who study regret find out that in the short term, we regret things we say, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But in the longer term, most people will look back and their biggest regrets are things they didn't do. Words of kindness they didn't say, gifts they didn't give, the risks they never did, the businesses they never started, the ministries they never dove into. God opens doors if you're alive. Are you going to walk through them? Are you going to open your heart? Are you going to take your heart through the open door that he offers? I want to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 9. If you have your Bibles or a device, uh, Grab, grab 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 9. If you don't have an app on your phone, just Google it. You'll get it right away. Or just grab one of those, uh, um, those Bibles near the door, and you can keep one of those if you don't have a Bible. 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 9 really almost seems like this throwaway sort of passage. This, this passage of Scripture, this book of the Bible, Corinthians, was actually originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul, one of the first ministers of the gospel going out around the world telling people about Jesus. He's writing to people in Corinth, so the book's called Corinthians, and in this is just doctrine, uh, good stuff for the church, good practices, teaching for them. And this passage almost seems like one of those, like, well, it's just kind of there. He's writing to them, so this is what you would also attach to a letter if you're writing to somebody. But there's some truth here. In verse 5, well, there's truth in all the Bible, but in verses 5 through 9 is where we're going to read. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus, another place name, until Pentecost, a holiday, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. (sighs) Pretty boring, right? I mean, honestly, like that when you're reading your Bible, like, okay, my eyes kept moving on the page, but... I don't know, like I don't know where Ephesus is, I might know where Macedonia is, 
well, I should, I should turn to the maps. Nope, I'm not. You know, like that's, this is one of those incidental things that gets mentioned in Scripture. But there's some great teaching here. We believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for encouraging, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. So this isn't just stuffing for the Bible to make it, you know, fit the, the word count that the professor wants to write it in, right? This is, this is some good truth about how Paul, one of the most amazing men in all of history, even if you don't believe the Bible's true, one of the most amazing figures in all of history, we get to, a little bit of an insight into his travels, into how he let his life be directed. And so in verses 8 and 9 is where I particularly want to focus, although at the end of verse 7, you hear him say, if the Lord permits you know, wouldn't it be cool if we would just go about our daily lives just going, you know what, I've got this plan, if the Lord permits. Because what do I know? I mean, this would agree with what James says in James chapter 4. You know, we should say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. But we don't really know, do we? We don't have that much control over the world we're in. Maybe somebody needed to hear that. That was free. First service didn't get that. Verse 8. But he says about Ephesus, he says, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because because a great door, there it is, there's our door, a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. There's, there's three doors I want you to see here. He says there's a door of opportunity, but also there's the door of obligation and then there is the door of opposition. So, I mean, if you, if you take it all together, you might go, what is he talking about? Because... There's a great door for effective work, but there's people who oppose him. Let's first talk about that effective work. He says, you know what? There's an opportunity in Ephesus. Anybody ever been to Ephesus in Turkey? You're like, Turkey? That sounds like a great country to visit, right? But um, I don't think there's much Turkey there as you'd think. That is a terrible joke. Please delete that from the podcast, Parker. Moving on. Uh, Ephesus. Ephesus is a place none of us have ever been. Okay, but in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There was this huge temple to the goddess Artemis, or the Romans called her Diana. Huge place. This, this pagan temple of worship. And all sorts of terrible things would go on there. But this was a wonder to be seen. And so Paul says, uh, effective ministry, an opportunity for work is going on in Ephesus. When most of us would see the exact opposite. I mean, Christianity in the world at that time was just like not even a percent of the population. There weren't that many Christians around. And so for Paul to target a place, one of the wonders of the world, one of the places where there's a lot of cult worship going on, he says, man, that's a great opportunity. There was an organization in Montana that many years ago was offering $5,000 for the capture of wolves. You had to capture them live, but if you would bring them a live wolf, they would, uh, they'd give you $5,000. So two guys named, named Sam and Jed were, were hunters, and they decided to head for the hills and, and you know, find some wolves, get their, get their money from this. So day and night, they searched and they searched, and after three long days, they were exhausted, and so they made camp. And they woke up, and Sam woke up first, and he found that he and Jed were surrounded by a pack of 50 wolves. Could see their eyes lit up in the campfire, could see their white teeth bared, and could see that they were preparing to pounce. And Sam nudged Jed and said, hey, wake up, we're going to be rich. <laughs> now you could look at that as a big problem, 
Or like Sam, you could say, we're going to be rich. Sometimes we are surrounded by what appears to be difficulties when we may be, in fact, surrounded by opportunities. I want to do something kind of odd in our service right now. I want you to take out your phone or take out your wallet and uh, find some pictures of people you love. And I want you to show some pictures to the person sitting next to you. If you don't know their name yet, tell them your name. But uh, most of us have it on our phone. Scroll through there and show the person next to you some, a group picture or some picture not of you. Don't show them your 97 selfies. Show them some pictures of uh, you with somebody you love, a group of people that you love. So I wanna, I'm going to stop talking. You show your, show your neighbor some pictures of people you love, people you like, friends. All the grandmas are like, I was waiting to show pictures. All the cat people are like, I'll show them a cat picture too. If you haven't introduced yourself, do that so you can go home and say, I saw so-and-so's cat. All right, I think that's enough time. You've seen some pictures. Somebody next to you, the people that they like or they love. Now look at your picture and, or just remember, I mean, is there anybody in that picture whose spiritual life you have concerns about? Is there anybody friend, family, that you look at them and you say, you know what, things might be a little shaky between them and God. I'm going to tell you something. You probably already know this if you're a follower in Jesus of Jesus, that you hope that someone in the world will care for that person or those people. You hope that somebody in the world is going to notice them and pray for them and perhaps do something to reach out to them. You're trying, you're praying, but you're hoping somebody will stand near the door for that person and invite them into the love of God. You're hoping that some church, some place in this world is not content with things that are going on and say, well, things are going okay, but that some people will be creative, that they will be compassionate, that they will be generous, and that they'll, they'll take risks. And they'll help that person that you know, that you, you carry around a picture of. And if it's not somebody, is there anybody that you have in your phone, any contact that you have that you would be, you're just fine if they would walk off a cliff and land in hell. I mean, what are we going to do about these people? Everybody you see is someone's son or daughter. Everybody who's driving down the road behind a steering wheel at you is somebody who Jesus died for, who faces an eternal destiny in either heaven or in hell. There's a crucified one who says to every heart, I stand at the door and knock. And we may be a church that have, has doors that welcome people in, but we need to say now, we are going out after you. We are going for the people who are in those pictures. We're going to rip the doors off this church. Not literally, there'd be a lot of mosquitoes and very difficult to heat. But we need to share with others the great door of opportunity that they can turn to Jesus. You know, we look at our community and go, boy, it's got a lot of trouble. Boy, there's a lot of opportunity. It doesn't matter if we get a thousand foot lock or not. People here need the love of God showed to them in very tangible ways. And so there is great opportunity here, as there was for Paul in Ephesus, even though it might not look like it. He says a great door for effective work, lasting work, eternal work has been opened to me. He is obligated to this. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, Silas should go there, Barnabas should go there, Mark should go there, Bob should go there. There's no Bob in the Bible, but maybe there's a Bob around. 
Maybe he should go there. No, he says, I have a personal obligation to go to Ephesus and preach the word of God to them. We have a personal obligation that no matter where you're at, you need to be sharing the good news. This is how Jesus lived. He came into this world. He says, I'm coming for you. I'm open. The gates of heaven swing both ways. I'm coming down. Heaven's coming to earth. I'm sending my disciples. I'm sending the church in love. When we go through these doors out into the world, when we actually start to serve our community, you know who will change the most? We're hoping them, but I really believe God will change us. Transformations at the heart of what we do, and we want you to join a group, we want you to join a Bible study, we want you to get connected with others within the church, but we need to say yes to a mission from God together. And I know some of you are saying, well, let's get spiritually ready first and then go out. And I get that. And I, I understand and even appreciate that. But do you know how long churches wait who have that attitude that says, let's get it all together first and then go out? They wait forever. They, they wait forever. Because spiritual maturity never comes apart from spiritual mission. We're not training up like there's not a war. There's a war going on. We're training up for the battle. We need to be out there. And, you know, and some of you are like, man, there's people here for the first time, Pastor. They have been waiting for you to go out and get them. They had to come here. As sad is the worst opponents to the advancement of the gospel are not the enemies. It's the people who sit in the pews and are nominal Christians. They hear the messages. But they see blind people all day long who are looking for an open door of grace and they do nothing. We have an obligation, a holy obligation, to do our part outside of the walls of this church. And what's interesting is Paul, he says, you know, effective ministry, I've got to do it in Ephesus. And he says, uh, yeah, there is many who oppose me. Many who oppose me. There will always be people who oppose the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always. In Ephesus, we read in the book of Acts, there's this guy who, we know his name. His name was Demetrius. He was a silversmith. He was one who made idols out of silver of the god Artemis. So, you you know, go to the temple of Artemis and get the souvenir idol as you go, right? I mean, you made your pilgrimage, now, you know, only three easy payments. And you can get this idol too. That's, you know, it's got to be a great markup, right? You know, you got him there, like, this one's actually from Ephesus, Well, this guy Demetrius hears a competitor to his God. And so he starts to oppose Paul, starts to become an opponent of the gospel, and starts persecuting Paul. You can read in the book of Acts how it goes for Paul in Ephesus. He's not kidding when he mentions to the Corinthians there's opposition for him there. But he knows that going through an open door, a good path that God has made for you, does not mean it'll be easy on the other side. You remember all those stories in the scripture about those people who God gave an easy job to? Me neither. Like, I just need you to do this small thing. There's big things to do for the kingdom. God said he would go with us. He did not say it would be easy. He said we would not be alone. And many of us, we wait. You know, should I go through this open door or not? I don't really have a peace about it. I don't have a peace about it. Do you, you think Moses had a peace about going to visit Pharaoh? Do you think David, we talked about him yesterday. Yeah, I'm going to go kill a 10-foot giant when I have the peace about it. 
He brought five rocks, for goodness sakes. He still had to aim that rock and kill that guy. Have the peace about it. Now, peace is on the other side of obedience. Now, we, and we'll talk, we've got six weeks in this series. How do we know door A or door B? God, which, which way are you opening? We'll talk some more about that. But it's wrong to think that, like, I'm going to have a peace about doing something difficult. It's going to be hard. Be reminded you are not the first person to face a difficult assignment. You are not the first person who's been told to stay in a difficult job. You're not the first person who's had a difficult roommate or a difficult classmate or a difficult professor. You're not the first person to face a difficult kingdom assignment. And you could just stay where you're at and call it common sense, being prudent, but it could be disobedience. It could be a refusal to trust God based in fear, not in faith. Your life might be safe right now, but is it fulfilling? Is it effective? Paul says, I I would love to go hang out with you guys, but I want to go where there's effective work. I want to go where a great door for effective work has been opened for me. And yeah, there's many who have who are going to oppose me. Doors, all kinds of doors are open for us around this community. We place some signs around this room. Just, I mean, the doors, just literal places with doors that we need to walk into and be the salt of the earth, be the light of the world. There's no question there's going to be opponents. But if we just look at the opponents and not the possibilities, not the opportunities, not the obedience that God's calling us to live in, not the legacy he's calling us to leave behind... He might, Jesus might return in like a week. He really might. I don't know. But it might be a hundred years. Are we planting seeds? Are we watering seeds? Are we doing the work outside and inside the doors of this church that we should be? Jesus said he holds the keys to life and death. He does so because on the third day, he opened a door. He opened the tomb. And the power of that resurrection is available Still changing lives today because of the open door of that tomb. We're going to end our service with communion. We're going to end our service uh, calling out to the God who wants us to be an open door church. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us uh, open the doors real wide. God, we thank you that uh, you open the gates of heaven so wide, pouring out your grace on the earth. We know the way there is narrow and You said only a few find it. Father, would we lead people off of that wide path that leads to destruction, to the gates of heaven? Father, would we bring heaven down to earth as you did through your son, Jesus Christ? Give us courage and boldness to carry your truth through some doors that that are closed for some, but not for us. Give us wisdom and guide us, we pray. It's in Jesus' name.